Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So I I was really nervous for this emotional audition and I went in, they called my name and I was doing it with this casting director that I had felt pretty comfortable with. I had gone in for her a few times um, and I felt like I was killing the scene. Mm. Like I felt present. I felt like I was there. And by the time it gets to that middle portion where you have to get emotional or where the scene called for some type of tear or whatever, um, I was like right at that point and she gets a knock at the door and just goes and then heads out of the room. Hello world and welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the show where I speak to fellow actors about their journey in the industry, and I make them share a couple bad audition stories with me. If you're not following the show on social media, you can check out our social media in the show notes. You can also go to our Patreon and see these entire interviews via video. I don't know if that's how I'm supposed to say it, but that's how I'm saying it now. So check out our Patreon, um, and that's about it. That's all the shouting out I'm doing at this moment. That was a lie, actually. Um, One more shout out. I was on the Real Hauntings podcast this past week with Noah talking about all things spooky and my very own personal ghost experience. So check that out if that is something that you are into. Okay, now I'm done with the shout outs. Uh, I'm very excited about today's episode. Today we have Leia DeLeon Hayes. You may know her from Just Add Magic, Raven's Home. She's voiced on Doc McStuffins as Doc. Uh, Kung Fu Panda. She stars in The Equalizer with Queen Latifah. And she has a brand new movie, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, coming out June 9th. Which, um, if you're listening to this on the day of its release, then it comes out tomorrow in theaters. Very excited to see it. Here's my conversation with Leia. And welcome to the show, Leah. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. You are such a freaking powerhouse for being eight years old. I am like struck by you. Oh, I think that's so sweet of you to say thanks. <laughs> well, the first thing I always love to talk about with my guests is what made them want to become an actor? What was that thing inside of you that said, dang, I need to be a performer? Ooh, well, I started when I was pretty young. I started when I was eight or nine years old. Um, I was never very sporty as a child. And so I would do singing and dancing. That was like my favorite thing to do. So I would have like recitals and talent shows. And on top of that, being a very competitive kid, it seemed like that was the perfect like <laughs> niche for me. Um, so uh, I started with dancing and singing and I would do it with my best friend and I would go on stage and I just loved the feeling of performing. Mm. Um, 
And so I had told my my dad one time at my recital, I was like, I want to get back up there. Like, I, I have to get back up there. Um, and that kind of led to me doing the morning announcements at my school, which ultimately ended up in me asking my parents if I could start acting lessons. Um, and they were like, yes, of course. And I started doing like children's theater in Texas. That's where I'm, I'm from. Um, so I think when I, I would do like a summer program and I would be in theater for like two months straight mm. and I absolutely loved it. It was like, I think I played Juliet from Romeo and Juliet in one play. And then I played like Cinderella <laughs> in another absolutely bootleg play. <laughs> I mean, um, but those are the best ones. <laughs> they were the best ones. And I just thought it was the most like fun thing in the world. I don't think I had ever felt more free in my life. And there was this feeling of, um, a feeling of freedom, but also there were no nerves when it came to acting or being on stage. Um, and that's really, really what drew me to it. And on top of that, I was eight years old. So I looked up a lot to like Zendaya and yeah. China and McLean at the time. I would watch a lot of Disney Channel. And I told my parents, I was like, I want to be on the Disney Channel. That's all I want to do. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a mixture of like children's theater at the time. And then uh, watching Disney and Nickelodeon. I love that. And it's so nice to hear how supportive your parents are and were back then. Um, were they ever involved in the arts or were you the first in your family to to decide to go this path? I'm the first in my family, wow. I think, um, as far as I know. Uh, but I will say that my my parents are very athletic. I think that was like a worry from my mom. She was like, I just want her to I want her to stay active. <laughs> um, but my mom was an ice skater, so there's so wow. much performance that does come with that. Um, and then my dad was a football player. <laughs> so, okay. you know, a different route. Uh, but I was kind of, I think I'm the first in my family to ever want to do something in the arts. Um, yeah, so... We're just, we're passing that torch along, hopefully to other family members in the future. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. Um, so you convinced your parents to let you start acting. When was it that you came out? Did you go to LA first? Did you go to New York first? What was that first step for you? Right. So first step for me, like I said, I was raised in Texas. So I did acting classes for two years. Um, and then that theater program that I was in. We did like two years of that. It was like two summers worth. Mm. Uh, so I did a lot of lessons from this wonderful woman named Catherine Hart. Shout out to her in Dallas, Texas. She was amazing. She like went to Juilliard. And I think that was the wow. first, that was the first like role model I had when it came to just where I could see myself. It was like the first time I was mesmerized by somebody. Mm. Um, and it started with, with her. I just loved her teaching a lot. So um, we did classes out there and then I ended up auditioning for print work when I was like nine years old and I hated print work. And I would tell my parents that too. I was like, I don't want to model. Like <laughs> I want to do commercials at least. Um, but I ended up doing like a bunch of little like Chuck E. Cheese brochures and auditioning Amazing. out there. Um, and also at the same time, I was still singing. So I would still do talent shows and recitals at my school. Um, and I think I did, I ended up doing a recital and I sang a song from Wicked. I love theater. So I would sing, I sang popular from Wicked. And one of the women who was playing Elphaba at the time in Wicked, she had known um, my singing coach. 
And she had a manager and she basically introduced me to my first manager. Wow. And that was part of the reason why we went to LA. So um, it was kind of like the stars had aligned. Also, my dad's job was moving him to California. What? Yeah. I'm very grateful to have such supportive parents. I think their main thing was making sure that I wanted to do it um, and that it just stayed fun. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I got to Los Angeles, I was just like in a state of euphoria because I was (laughs) going on to all these sets and meeting all these new people. So um, it was like, it was very dreamy to be nine years old and and in California. (laughs) I get it. I mean, I, my parents moved us here when I was eight into LA. And so it's kind of similar, you know, my dad got a job in California and it all just kind of worked out. And it's interesting when that happens as a kid, because you just kind of feel like you're on this little roller coaster of like, Ooh, this is fun. Oh, completely. And I, I mean, another thing that like made me want to act was watching Victorious, which was on Nickelodeon. And they were always at Hollywood Arts and they went to like the super fun performing arts school and they would talk (laughs) about the Grove and Hollywood Boulevard. And then you like get out here and you're like, oh my gosh, all this stuff is real. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Go to Universal Studios. It's like a playground when you're when you're super young. Well, fun fact, (laughs) I was on Victorious. I played Haley, the karaoke dokey biatch. (gasps) No, no, absolutely not. You can't hit me with that this morning because I think I know it. (laughs) It's all clicking. It's all clicking. Oh my gosh, were you with um? You were with the blonde? Were you with the Jamie? Blondes? Yeah, it was me and Jamie Snow, who's now the casting director over at Nickelodeon with Krisha Bullock. And, and I'm always—I used to always go over there, and I'd be like, "Oh my gosh!" I didn't realize <laughs> that she was also in Victorious. Yeah. Till maybe till after I even auditioned for them. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's cool that's that you place. like loved the show, and it helped you, you know, want to pursue this as a profession. Oh my gosh, completely. There was nothing more I wanted than to go to Hollywood Arts. I wanted so badly. <laughs> I wanted to freak the freak out so bad. <laughs> I, you know, it's wow. crazy. I did not realize that that, uh, that specific like special that we did for Freak the Freak Out would become what it did because I feel like people still talk about it. But anyway, moving That's on. That's such that. a flex. I love that you just like hit me with that. That's like all the serotonin I need this morning. Amazing. Well, you know... <laughs> I've directed a couple of like teen movies and it's so funny because whenever like one of them finds out it like starts spreading and then it's just like wait victorious it's crazy anyway it's the (laughs) gift that keeps on giving um so you come out here and it's not long until you do you get Doc McStuffins right I mean that's pretty quick for you it was super quick I um I guess it was like all that training that I'd done in Texas had like (laughs) manifested into doc and and even commercial work i think i booked my first commercial for nfl play 60 (laughs) in like june and i think we came out here late may so it was all moving very quickly and Mm. i and then when doc came along i had never done any voiceover before um so that was a completely different realm that I, i that i really honestly still sometimes I'm shocked that actors even get the chance to be a part of because when I first moved out here, I thought it was simply like, oh, you just do TV and that's Mm. it. And then some movies, but that's it. Um, But voiceover was like this, this whole new world. um, And I ended up getting a voiceover coach for it because I was the second doc. So I was familiar with what Doc McStuffins was at the time. Um, And it ended up just kind of 
fitting in that pocket perfectly. I think I was nine years old when I booked it. And um, that was my just first introduction to working with any type of director, Mm. working consistently on a job. It was the first time I had understood what like over rehearsing was or like not rehearsing enough was. Yeah. Um, And we were doing it alone. So I wasn't with any other people in the studio. So it was just like, I think a lot of what I learned in, in doc, I still kind of go back to. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was a, I think I, I'm so grateful that that was my first big project to mm-hmm. do because it's still, you get a lot of, a lot of leeway to grow because you're not on camera. You get a lot of leeway to just try things out and maybe fail at some things at times and then pick yourself up and learn from it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that first experience. It's so true. I mean, with voiceover, it's it's awesome because you do get to have that, oh, you know what? I messed up. Can we go back? Can I, can I do this again? And then you can try different things. I mean, there's so many times on set or if you're doing multicam where it's like, nope, keep going. We don't got time to do another take. Oh, completely, completely. And there is this thing too when you're um, you're a child actor and you've been kind of like taught to always do what other people want you to do. Or I mean, there's always this thing where you want, at least for me, I wanted to be a perfectionist and just yep. make sure I was hitting all my cues and that I was doing exactly what the director wanted or what I thought a director or casting director wanted. And a lot of the time you can easily forget to just play and try things out mm-hmm. and take a risk and see what works. And um, I think Doc and just doing voiceover has really allowed me to like, you know, kind of take agency and also be completely free to play mm-hmm. and just figure it out as opposed to having everything so prepared or rehearsed before you even get onto a set. Totally. And you've continued that with Kung Fu Panda and other shows. I mean, you've created quite the the voiceover side hustle. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, again, and all of that was just something I didn't know was um, like a, a vehicle that you could get into mm. via acting, uh, which has ultimately led now to gaming and motion capture. Um so it's, I guess, the biggest thing for me now, obviously, I wasn't thinking about this when I was nine or 10, but I just want to constantly challenge myself and uh, just feel freedom in whatever I do, any type of work that I do. And voiceover gaming has allowed for that, mm. which I'm very, very grateful for. And motion capture is just a beast unto itself. I mean, just like, I don't think people understand that when you're filming for a video game, it's like every single movement you make has to be something. Otherwise, you can't just like sit there and fidget. You have to do something or stay still. Right. It's so technical. Yes. It's (laughs) It's really crazy. It's like really intense. And they don't give you a lot of time. Like... For God of War, we would have, well, one, it would be like a month in advance or two months in advance where they would let you know when we were going to film. Um, And then once you got there, you have like a two-day rehearsal process where it's just like you got to hit every single mark. This pole is going to be a giant snake that can fly and you're (laughs) going to have to (laughs) find a way to communicate with it and give it this marble. Um, (laughs) So it's just purely imagination. A lot of the people who are on God of War were just telling me it's a lot like theater, um, but 
it is intense. Like they made sure that there was a known expectation on what they wanted. <laughs> um, and then you get like one day to film and it goes so fast. Like I think we only did three takes of wow. some scenes. Then you're just on to the next, on to the next. Um, but again, just like a whole other beast and like completely opened my eyes even more to um, just everything that I was capable of mm-hmm. or uh, just something I didn't believe I could even be a part of. So Again, that was that's a really cool experience. People don't respect mocap in the way that in they, the way need that they to, should. It's yeah. very difficult. <laughs> We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And back to the show. Well, you mentioned that, you know, you loved Disney, you grew up watching all that. So what was it like for you when you book Raven's Home and you get (laughs) to be with these people in person? Oh my gosh, it was so silly. It was like, <laughs> it's just one, it's already a thing to audition, as you probably know. Like it's a thing to audition for Disney and Nick shows when you're a kid who like grew up watching those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that was exciting in itself. Like I can fully remember the amount of Austin and Alley auditions I went in <laughs> for and was just like pinching my little 11 year old self like oh my gosh like this is where they this is where they met Laura Morano um but I think when I did Raven's Home I was at a different point I think I was like 14 when I was on that set um and I was just having fun Mm. like it was just a, a good time I think it really hit me when I saw Raven Simone and we had like a scene together that was 
at the, it still was like a dream. I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything that my five-year-old self would have wanted. Um, but also I think at 14, 13, even I was starting to be more interested in film Mm. and wanting to do more serious projects. Um, but still, it's like you do a lot for that little eight-year-old inside of you. Yeah. And Raven's Home was like the perfect thing for that. And I ended up meeting so many wonderful people on that show that I'm still very close to. Um, but it was, it was kind of, that was more of like a transitional period, I mm. think, for me as an actor. I was starting to do like pilots that didn't get picked up. And uh, again, I had done voiceover. The game wasn't a thing yet, but there were just... There was a lot that I had wanted and I was yearning for and Raven's Home was in like that perfect pocket of me moving to a next step. Mm. Um, that's, um, that's uh, it's almost like symbolic of saying like, okay, I'm leaving this part of my career here and I'm moving towards the next thing. And it's, it's interesting right. at that age, it's like you are looking for the more serious things because you've spent so, so much time doing the silly, so much time doing the... Disney auditions and going over the top and it's fun as heck but you're like okay I need to think about what I want the future to look like completely I think especially when you start just so young um at nine at eight at ten you're really just doing it because you're having a good time Mm -hmm. and that's how it should be like I never felt any pressure not even via myself at 10 years old there was no expectation I or pressure that I had felt. Um, I was simply doing it because I, it was like playing pretend. It was like playing house. It's just a fun time. And then I think when I hit 13, I really found myself starting to feel passionate about it. Mm. And I just was yearning for challenge. I was like, oh my gosh, I had loved theater. I wanted to do theater. I wanted to go to New York. I was watching more movies. Um, and I would be watching these movies like, oh my gosh, no, that's what I want to do. Mm. So it, it was just a shift in my thought process. And even at the time when I was on Raven's Home, I didn't know that, okay, I'm going to be leaving this behind and that part yeah. is over. But there is a, there's definitely like thoughts and just like a yearning for something more. Um, and like you said, especially when things start to get silly or they're just, they're so fun. It's so exciting. But you've also seen the same episode before. You've seen right. the same TV show before. You just want something different. Um, and that's exactly how I felt. Mm. And then how long until you landed the equalizer? Because that definitely is a, a shift for you. Completely a shift. I had done some pilots, again, which all kind of um, influenced my mind at the time. Where I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm capable of much more. <laughs> um, and I had done like a pilot the year before Equalizer, which was like so different than what Equalizer is. And again, I was just yearning for more adult projects. So mm. I got I got Equalizer early 2020. So oh, right before the good pandemic, Lord. literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was so grateful and so lucky, but literally we didn't even film the pilot because we had went into lockdown. Um, so I think I auditioned in February of 2020, booked it in March of 2020. And then our first week where we had like traveled to Brooklyn to film the pilot, we had gotten the news that we were going to go into lockdown. Wow. It was 
It was insane. It was really crazy. Oh my God. And then how long until you guys were back into production? Seven months. Seven months long. Yeah. And we, and I hadn't, I mean, I think we did one table read with the entire cast. Mm -hmm. So I at least got to meet everyone. Um, And we were so excited. We had four days. We did like fittings and a camera test all leading up to that first day where we (laughs) shot the pilot and that never happened. So we found out that it got picked up in May of 2020 with no pilot. That's pretty remarkable. We were very lucky. Very, very lucky. Um, I think we started in November of 2020. Mm. October, November, somewhere around there. And I mean, working with a legend like Queen Latifah, I just can't even imagine. I feel like she has been just a like figure of amazingness for so long. <laughs> oh my gosh, completely. She, it, it, it still goes into the thing what's so um, inspiring about Queen. And there's so many things that are inspiring about her. And it's not only that she has blazed the trail for so many, like, young Black women and Black artists, but she really, like, you really get to see with someone of her caliber that she just never limited herself. Mm-hmm. She never put herself into a box. She was able to do everything, really. I mean, she literally sing. You go from like Chicago to doing rom-coms like you can do. She can do anything. It's wild. It's wild. I mean, she put out a jazz album in like the early 2000s. I listened. Didn't she have a a talk show too? Yeah, she had a talk show. (laughs) She did. She definitely had a talk show. Um, She's like 90s darling, living single, set it off. Um, And then I was a Hamilton fan and still am. Come on. But she was on the Hamilton soundtrack, like the mixtape. Oh my gosh, yes. I was like, so good. Was, she was so good. She's so good. It's um, wild. But it's, it, I'm really lucky to work with her because I learned so much from not just her, but also Lorraine Toussaint too. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just these extremely talented women, of course, but they're so warm and so generous. Um Queen in particular is like the coolest human being on earth. Like she has all this talent inside of her, but she's still just so chill. Like she's so zen. Um, But yeah, I learned so much from them just watching a scene or being in a scene with them. Um, I can't really ask for any two better women Mm. to, to learn from, especially being so young in my career. Well, we need to talk about the angry black girl and her monster that you are the star of the literal star um Aww. also my good friend from childhood Denzel Whitaker stars in it with you which is so cool uh, he's so awesome um I love that man so I much. watched him in the great debaters he's the best he yeah. really is he's uh the coolest we've known each other since we were literally like 11 I think um crazy probably longer than you've been alive which is a little upsetting to me now saying that aloud anyway (laughs) um tell me about the movie tell me all about this incredible thing because it's getting insanely amazing reviews I mean it it looks so good thank you so much um this project is really exciting for me it's the first time I've led a project before um 
And also the material, and I think the concept is so different from what anyone has ever seen before. Um, It is a reimagining of Frankenstein, and it centers around a 17-year-old science prodigy named Vicaria, that is me. And um, she has an obsession with death. She believes that she can cure it. Um, And that basically is stemming from the fact that she has grown up in a community where she has seen a lot of death, Mm. um, whether that's via her mother and most recently her brother, Chris. And after that recent death of her brother, Chris, she decides to take matters into her own hands and cure death, Um, which is basically where we start out in the movie. But this is it's coming from a first time director as well. He also wrote the script. Um, And again, the ultimate goal is just to challenge myself and do things that are out of the box. And this is and this has been the perfect experience and perfect, perfect opportunity to do that. Um, So I'm really looking forward to people seeing it. And then would you categorize this maybe in the horror genre a little bit? Or is it more of like a psychological? I would definitely categorize it in the horror genre. It's definitely a genre film. But we have a lot of jump scares. I think there's a lot of social commentary Mm. as well um, in the movie, which is my favorite part of it. You're kind of dealing with two horrors, not just like obviously Frankenstein and this creature, but you're dealing with the horror of what it's like to be Black in America as Mm -hmm. well. And what can happen if, you know, we're mentally trapped um, Mm. via what society has told us we are or what we can and can't do. That's what I'll say. It feels kind of like an extension of what Jordan Peele has been after for the last like five, six years of creating this social commentary through horror. And it's always, you know, I love horror because I feel like it's just a heightened reality. And that's kind of like comedy, too. I mean, you can interchange them pretty easily. It's just taking something and heightening it so that people enjoy the experience of watching it and maybe don't even realize that they're being taught a lesson. No, I just saw the movie again the other night, and it's one of those things where it's a fun movie to watch. Like, you do feel like you're on a roller coaster, and then by the end of it, I was sitting there just like, I was just sitting there completely moved. Like, (laughs) obviously, it's the film, and I had read the script, of course, (laughs) but I was still, it's always a different thing when you read it on paper and then to see it visually and see how it turns out. And horror is just such a great vehicle to do that because you have to keep people on their toes. Like Mm -hmm. the audience is going to want to be scared and they're going to want to be taken on this roller coaster ride. Um, I feel like Bamani did such a lovely job of making sure that you do get your like classic horror scares and your jump scares and whatnot. But also on top of that, you find so much humanity within every character Mm -hmm. in this film whether they're humans or whether they're creatures, like you really are able to empathize with everyone. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's a great, it's just, this is my first horror film as well. And the process of filming was so exhilarating. I had never felt that much freedom on a set. Um, And then obviously to see it come out and see what it's turned out to be has been just such a cherry on top to the experience. Well, I am stoked to see it. I cannot wait. Um, I love horror films, so I am so excited. 
Um, well, on this show, we like to share audition stories. Now, that can be something embarrassing that's happened in the room. It can be the one that got away. Uh, it can be anything in between. Is there a story you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, my goodness. Um, there's so many of these that it's like, it's really hard to pick, but I do have one that I always think about. <laughs> and like, there's there's a movie with a scene in it from La La Land mm -hmm. where Mia is like doing this emotional scene and like someone knocks on the door and is like, hey, do you want this sandwich? Basically that exact thing happened to me just without the sandwich. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and it was like, I think maybe seven years ago, it was a while ago. It was one of my it's like either my first or second year out here. And I went up to this casting office. Um, there were obviously a bunch of girls in the waiting room. This was pre-COVID times. Mm -hmm. And I was really nervous because when you're young and you get like a scene where you have to be emotional. I mean, when I was younger, I would spend the entire day just like thinking of something that could hopefully make me cry by the time <laughs> I'm in there. Like that was the main goal. I was like, okay, well, I got to try and tear up, you know? Yeah. Um, so I I was really nervous for this emotional audition. And I went in, they called my name, and I was doing it with this casting director that I had felt pretty comfortable with. I had gone in for her a few times. Um, and I felt like I was killing the scene. Mm. Like I felt present. I felt like I was there. And by the time it gets to that middle portion where you have to get emotional or where the scene called for some type of tear or whatever, um, I was like right at that point and she gets a knock at the door and just goes and then heads out of the room to go answer the door and then has a separate conversation with whoever this person was who was knocking and then comes back in literally five minutes later. So I was basically just standing there like, I don't know what's going to happen, but she comes back in five minutes later and she simply just goes, um, I think I've seen enough. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, so I didn't I didn't even finish the scene. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never even made it to the emotional part. Oh. Um, and who knows what that casting director was knocking for that at the time. Hopefully not a sandwich. Um, I mean, I would hope but, it'd be something a little more uh, time time like contingent uh, than a sandwich. Yeah. I would hope so. I was hoping like family emergency. Right. You know, yeah. maybe she has to, need to leave the office. Needs to leave the office, like not seeing anyone else. Um, <laughs> who knows how my read was as well. But I felt so connected. I thought we were going back and forth. I was feeling the flow. I was getting to that like emotional part. Yeah. And she was like, ooh. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, and it kind of goes to show like too, as actors, you know, we can be as connected as we want, can be, we can be present, we can be there and we just might not even be the right look that they want. We could be just completely off of what they're actually looking for. And we're like, damn, I got this. And they're like, that's cute. <laughs> no, it's so, it's such an, it's such an unfair industry and it's such a, like, it's such a weird, and all these auditions are like critiques that you get are just not personal, obviously at all. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that you have to learn. Cause I'll be sitting there like, 
oh my gosh, they absolutely hate me when <laughs> truthfully, it really could have been something down to like my hair yeah. or like how my eyes are. Who knows? Right. Um, but at least, you know, we get, we build some tough skin. Yeah, we do. And yeah, we do. And it, we, and now with self tapes, it's an even crazier uh, thing. So That's shout out to beast. us actors. Cause <laughs> we, yeah, no, like you really do have to be a different type of beast to be able to do it. So mm-hmm. shout out to everyone in that audition circuit. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, well, what's next for you? you? You have so much on the horizon. I know that you maybe want to get into producing as well. What's, what's on the horizon for you? Yeah, I think my, I really want to do more film, especially with ex- my experience on Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. Like I had such a, such an amazing time. And that was the first time I felt super connected with the director as mm, well, Yeah, where we were able to collaborate and try things out, simply just play. Um, it was a place where I felt comfortable to also like take risks. Like I, I had never felt like I said, just that exhilarated and free before. So I'm really wanting to do more films in the future. And on top of that, of course, I would love to direct one day. Yeah. Uh, The main thing is just staying creative, just constantly finding ways to like create and just keep my brain activated in that way. Um, So coming up, there will be like definitely more uh, voiceover. I do have another project in the works that I'm really excited Yay. about. And then season four of Equalizer will be coming up too, which is very exciting. And uh, I can't wait for people to see because we left we left some folks on a cliffhanger Ooh. at the end of season three. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, we're Uh-oh. very excited. <laughs> um, well, how can people follow you on social media to stay up to date on all of your happenings? Amazing. You can follow me on my Instagram, which is at Leah Delion Hayes. It's L-A-Y-A-D-E-L-E-O-N-H-A-Y-E-S. And then my TikTok is at Leah Hayes 22, where I'm just, I'm really just like stupid on there. I don't, (laughs) it's just a good time. Um, Yeah. And then if you use Twitter, um, there is Leah Hayes as well on Twitter. Um, But yeah, and Watch Equalizer on Sundays and then watch Angry Black Girl and a Monster on June 9th. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're coming out. We're coming, coming out. out. <laughs> um, well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I've so enjoyed getting to know you and I cannot wait to see all the things that you do. Thank you so much. It was so lovely speaking with you. Um, even after that victorious flex, <laughs> which was such a big flex. Um, but I hope you have a lovely day. Thank you. Thanks again to Leia for coming on the show and hanging out with me. Make sure to go see The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster in theaters tomorrow, June 9th, or you can catch it streaming June 23rd. What an awesome show. Um, This is a month full of fantastic people, so make sure to tune in next week. And as always, thanks for coming in. When the cameras stop rolling... Now your clients are calling cut, only I call cut. That's a cut. The real terror begins. Don't be embarrassed about being scared. We're in a very scary situation. Go up yourself. I love this fur. You can't write that shit. Listen to I Love Lucifer wherever you get your podcasts.